Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me once again in the beachfront studio is my mom. Hi mom! Hi Chandler, how are you on this very rainy day? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. Let's go. All right. Let's give it a whirl. Let's do. And I'm so excited to have everyone here listening today. Thank you all so much for being here with us. We are very excited to have you. Yes. uh, Thank you all uh, to everyone who listens to this uh, all over this wonderful country of ours, all over this great planet, uh, and maybe even beyond. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for uh, tuning in. Uh, And for those of you, if this is your first episode, the way that we do things here is that in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data, the random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the back computer and out will come the astrological birth chart where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. She will then give uh, her best attempt at a blind reading of this chart telling us what she can about the person's personality traits, motivations, fortunes of this mystery history guest. I will then reveal to her who our historical figure is give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male. All right. Uh Uh-huh. Born on the 27th. All right. Of May. Okay. 1911. Ooh. All right. Do we have a time? 1240 a.m. Ooh. 1240. Okay, and where? The United States. Okay, and what town? St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. Okay. All right. Once again, a male born on May 27th, 1911. 12.40 a.m., just a little past midnight, St. Louis, Missouri. Well, okay, then. Very interesting. All right. So let's go through the planets. Uh, we can already see that this person has an interception here. Actually, so maybe they don't we will get into that in just a second okay so this person has sun at four degrees gemini moon at 20 degrees taurus mercury at 11 degrees taurus venus at 16 degrees cancer mars at 25 degrees pisces jupiter at six degrees scorpio saturn at 13 degrees taurus Uranus at 29 degrees Capricorn, 
Neptune at 19 degrees Cancer, Pluto at 26 degrees Gemini, North Node at 9 degrees Cancer, Chiron at 6 degrees Pisces, and their ascendant is at 3 degrees Pisces. Very, very interesting. Okay, so we will begin with having Pisces rising. Um, people who have Pisces rising, uh, seem to be, um, maybe even introverted. Um, also, uh, could seem that they are, um, well, having Pisces rising gives you this sort of dreamy, aspect to you because it's ruled by Neptune. So even though you're not a Pisces, okay, because this person's sun is in Gemini, but they have Pisces rising. So it gives them that kind of romantic-y aspect about them. Mysterious, but not like a Scorpio, more like an artist kind of way about them. Like you may expect them to be a poet or something. But this person also has Chiron in Pisces in their first house and Mars in Pisces in their first house. So Chiron is the um, aspect of the wounded healer. So having wounds in your first house, which normally come from your childhood or from uh, past lives, and this has to do with his appearance. So, I mean, this person could have a scar, or this person could have something about them um, that gives them, maybe gives people pause to wonder what has happened here? You know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but they also have Mars in the first house, which would make them very determined and make them come across as very, um, uh, amb ambitious, but it's in Pisces. So it's more spiritual kind of healing. I don't know. Let me look at the other things. So second house cusp is Aries. In the second house, <laughs> in the second house, we have actually uh, the first um, portion of the second house is Aries, which would mean that their second house cusp is Aries, which gives them a very determined way of approaching um finances and um values and valuables and things like that okay uh but all the planets they have in the second house are in taurus so we have north node at nine degrees mercury at 11 degrees saturn at 13 degrees and moon at 20 degrees all in Taurus, in their second house, because I'm doing Placidus houses. <sighs> Somehow this person's direction, their north node, what they're supposed to be doing, has to do with finances. Their lessons, Saturn, lessons, their lessons and their... Mm, something that could even hold them back, Saturn is in their second house. Their moon, their emotions in Taurus is in their second house. So somehow their emotions, women, their mother, everything that has to do with the moon in Taurus, which is actually a very mm, sensual, emotional placement, is somehow connected to finances and values. All of these things, including communication, 
is connected to finances and values and commodities because it's Taurus. So perhaps things that come from the earth, mm, crops, oil, things like that, but in general, just money because Taurus rules money. So uh, somehow money is involved here. Uh, this person's third house cusp is Taurus, and they have their son in Gemini at four degrees in their third house. Now, the third house is ruled by Mercury because it is communications. So this person's son is in Gemini, and their son is in their third house. So they should have been an excellent communicator. Um... Uh, very, uh, even maybe witty and, uh, eloquent with their abilities and their, and their quick mind, mercurial mind, being able to banter, being able to improv. Um, their fourth house cusp is Gemini and they have Pluto at 26 degrees in their fourth house. So, and it's in Gemini. So that is an interesting place to have Pluto because it deals with communications. That, that again deals with communications, death and rebirth, because Pluto rules Scorpio, death and rebirth, power, somehow power in the home, power, powerful home, Powerful community, powerful in the community, powerful communicator in the community, something along this line. Fifth house cusp is cancer. And that fifth house cusp is, uh, the fifth house is ruled by Leo and the sun. And this person has Venus at 16 degrees and Neptune at 19 degrees in Cancer, in the fifth house. Those two together, Venus and Neptune, blend in Cancer, blend for a very, 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 very romantic aspect. Or it should. It should be um, poetry and candles and um, baths filled with water and rose petals and all of this. Very dramatic because it's the fifth house. And Neptune is imagination, and Venus is love, and how you receive love and how you give how you give love. Uh, the sixth house cusp does look like it is exactly on Leo, so we don't have an interception here, but um, whew, just one degree either way, well, more this way than that way. But um, we don't have anything in the sixth house, but we do have Leo ruling the sixth house, so. I mean, this person could have had their work have something to do with show business or um, leadership or entertaining or entertainment because um, it's Leo and Leo is gonna Leo. Seventh house cusp is Virgo. They don't have anything in that house. But uh, having Virgo on your seventh house can make you very precise and intricate with partners and partnerships. Very detailed. Uh, also could be healing. Medical type of healing, not spiritual type of healing, but medical type of healing. Medicine. But this is in the seventh house of partnerships, which is one-on-one. -on -one. Could be business partnerships, could be romantic partnerships, could be friendships. Uh, then eighth house cusp is Libra. And we have Jupiter in Scorpio in that eighth house. Well, um... That's going to give him a little bit of a freaky streak. Uh, because the eighth house is ruled by Pluto, 
which rules Scorpio. And this person has Jupiter in Scorpio in the eighth house. So somehow, whether this person went looking for this or not, I would assume that spiritualism came to them. Uh, and not necessarily Christianity or light spiritualism. It could be taboo spiritualism. But um, taboo things, lots of them, because it's Jupiter. So this person is not... Um, I would feel that this person is not going to shy away from things that other people would find offensive or um, inappropriate or any of those kind of things. Ninth house cusp is Scorpio. We don't have anything in that house, but uh, again, ninth house is ruled by Jupiter and Sagittarius. And I would think that. Um, Again, this person has a, a different perspective on spiritual pursuits, dogma, but also even including travel around the world and education and higher education. Tenth house cusp is Sagittarius. So this person has kind of a cavalier way of looking at their a career, um, kind of a I'm going to do what I want to do and the rest of you guys can have at it. You know, am I making any sense so far? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then the 11th house cusp is Capricorn. And this person has Uranus at 29 degrees Capricorn in the 11th house. Somehow that has to do with money executive position with groups of people, but innovative, new way of dealing with money, a uh, different way of dealing with money. Um, dark side could be, I'm going to deal with this how I want to deal with this. And I will take it from all of you. That would be the dark side. But light side is that this person maybe could have had new innovative ways of making money for groups of people. 12th house cusp is Aquarius. And that puts, there's nothing in that house, but um, that does put an interesting spin on his karma because having 12th house Aquarius, because 12th house is, you know, ruled by Uranus. So it's very innovative and, 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 and futuristic and also humanitarian. So somehow, somehow karma with humanitarian things. Also, this Jupiter in the, in the eighth house, going back to that real quick, that could be a large inheritance, very large. So, okay, I've gone all the way around. Do you have any questions? What would he look like? I would just want to say that, um, People with Pisces rising look, I want to say they look kind of dreamy. Not dreamy like gorgeous or dreamy like beautiful, but like, like they're deep in thought and, and, and not, not stressful thought, dreamy thought. Kind of like that. Like, and they could also look kind of, hmm, artsy kind of art like an artist um maybe maybe unusual not 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 maybe more bohemian even um definitely not corporate <laughs> that would not be them but this person has chiron in the first house so there is something about how they look that they have an issue with whether they're the only one who know about it or other people know about it, but having Chiron in the first house is going to give you an issue with your, how you feel about how you look. How would he dress? 
Well, we have this combination of things, but if we're going first house, basically first house, and this is the correct birth time, I think that this person would be more creative with their dress, not not corporate, not not what you would think um, someone conservative would wear. I mean, I would think that people with Pisces rising could be wearing anything, could be wearing. But then again, they could be kind of vagabondish, you know? Even though I think this guy has lots of money, I think that he has this different perspective on on uh, kind of easygoing. Almost like, you know, when you're in L.A. back in the day and you used to see, like, Spielberg or whatever, he'd be in jeans and a T-shirt and a baseball cap. You know, he's worth who knows how much, but that's what he's wearing. What would he do for a living? Well... Uh, he has a very heavy second house ruled by Aries. So I would think something to do with like finances, um, maybe taking over corporations, but in a really super creative way, because he's got Leo on the sixth house cusp. So maybe somehow... He's in show business or creating studios or something about money. Because there's definitely a lot of, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of money involved. If there is not, then I'm going to be surprised. But I mean, I couldn't really tell you like, you know, lawyer, actor, Indian chief. I, I, I don't know because this person should be fairly creative with whatever uh, they're doing because they've got Mars in Pisces, which is going to make them very creative and kind of give them this um, edge. Like people don't see this coming. They, they don't see this coming because they think from the outside that this person is kind of easygoing. But this person has a stellium in Taurus in the second house. So uh, if this person doesn't have any money, I will be very surprised. And all this stellium, his north node opposes his Jupiter in Scorpio, his north node in Taurus opposing. That's a lot of energy to your Jupiter. You know? What would he study in school? Uh, <laughs> that is interesting. Um, well, he has, uh, his, his ninth house cusp is in Scorpio. So maybe, I don't know, cadavers. I don't, I don't know. Something having to do with, because, Midway through his ninth house, he literally has Sagittarius there. So the more, the merrier. The more information, the merrier. Let's study all of it. Let's, let's know everything, even the bad stuff. But could be philosophies, hmm, occult, uh, hmm. Definitely a lot. There should be a lot of information gathering here. Smart. A, a lot, a lot of just because they, you know, it's like the person that knows these random things that you're like, why do you even know that? Why, why would you even know that? Um, you didn't, you, you, that wasn't your degree or whatever. And you know that, and you know what I mean? Like that. What is he looking for in a partner? Well, if this is his birth time, he's looking for a Virgo, but also let's go find his Venus. His Venus is in cancer. So for a man, we look to the Venus and the moon. So honestly, even though his seventh house cusp is Virgo, his Venus is in Cancer and his moon is in Taurus. Those are very sensual, nurturing placements. 
So maybe this person needs to be nurtured. I mean, this guy is not looking for a vixen or anything like that. He might be looking for a mom. <laughs> he might want a mom for a partner. How would people react to him? I think people would like this guy. I think that he might be unique looking. Something about him connected to that Chiron. But I think that he is. I think that that if, if we're going with all the light sides, okay, we're going with the light sides of everything. I think that he's an excellent communicator. I think that his ideas for financial um, uh, explorations may at one point or another have taught him a lesson, but he learned the lesson and he kept going. I think that he has some brilliance with this Uranus in Capricorn at 29 degrees with regard to somehow making money for groups of people. And I think he's not afraid. I think that he's kind of maybe even cavalier about some things. I think that might be the only thing that people might be concerned about is that maybe this guy gets so motivated about whatever he's going to do. And maybe sometimes it's kind of out there and they don't know if that's going to work. But I think, I think most of the time it does work. Do you think this person would have an old soul or be sort of a, a child trapped in a man's body? Anything you can think of as to the age of the person inside? Well, having son and Pluto in Gemini is going to make you very useful. Uh, very, very useful. And having Sagittarius on your 10th house, anything that has to do with Sag and Gemini is going to make you very useful and childlike. But I think it's the opposite. I think that this person may come across more youthful, but have that older wise personality inside and mm, Pisces rising can also be um, how do I want to put this that dreamy factor you know the, 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 the daydreamer you know but Mars in Pisces People don't realize that Mars in Pisces, they have a temper. They, they really do have a temper. And Jupiter was the original ruler of Pisces, not, not Neptune, because they didn't know about Neptune yet. So when you think about having Mars uh, in a sign that could be ruled by Jupiter, that means that you could have big, big temper, big ambition, big everything that has to do with Mars, you know? Is this an introverted or extroverted person? I think this is an introverted person who has extroverted qualities about them, meaning when they need to show up and they need to get in front of a group of people, they will do it flawlessly but they prefer not to be with a bunch of people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because all that tourists, they just want to be on a couch somewhere eating something warm and good. <laughs> Having a good time with all their money. <laughs> what is his relationship with visual art? Is he someone who would want to go to a gallery? Uh, is he someone who wouldn't know anything about that and look down at it? Well, his Venus is in Cancer, conjunct Neptune. So Venus is about beauty and art and, uh, you know, as well as... Um, uh, well, I lost my train of thought there, but Venus conjunct Neptune is going to make you kind of 
also go with that dreamy Pisces in the first house, you know? So I, I, I would, I wouldn't doubt that this person would show up at an art gallery at all. In fact, all that, uh, Venus rules all that tourists. So that's beautiful things, you know, sculpture, paintings, music, all of the finer things in life. This person has it in cancer. So in some way, these things nurture this person or he nurtures with them because Venus is how you love and, 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 and how you want to be loved. Do you have any other final first impressions? Um, I think I would be impressed by this person. If all of these things are in the light side, uh, I think that um, I would be intrigued by this person. I hope everything is in the light side, because if it's not, and I don't even know if I know who this is when you tell me, but um, there's, there is a lot of opportunity for dark side things here, but I'm going to go with the light side for now. If we find out it's someone else, then we'll look at all the dark side stuff. I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> okay. So the first thing that you said is that he would seem to be introverted. Mm -hmm. There's a dreamy aspect to him, uh, romantic, mysterious. Uh, he might look like an artist, uh, maybe look like a poet or enjoy poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, there are wounds in his appearance, possibly even a physical scar. Mm -hmm. um, his appearance might give people pause, uh, but he would be determined and ambitious. Uh, and there is some sort of spiritual healing involved with his appearance. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be determined in finances and valuables. Mm -hmm. uh, his purpose is connected to uh, the finances. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are lessons with finances. Uh, emotions, women, the mother, they all connect to finances and valuables mm -hmm. and commodities. Mm -hmm. He'd be an excellent communicator, mm -hmm. witty, eloquent, quick-witted, mm -hmm. uh, someone who could banter. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be uh, powerful in the home, a powerful communicator about the community. Mm -hmm. uh, he could be very romantic, uh, a poet. He could be very dramatic in his uh, showing of love. Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, could work in show business or in leadership or entertainment. He uh, would be precise, intricate, and detailed in partnerships. Mm -hmm. There might even be an aspect of medical or physical healing in his partnerships and relationships. Mm -hmm. There could be a freaky streak with him. <laughs> uh, spiritualism uh, could come to them in an unexpected way mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily of the lightest Part. It could be very dark, taboo, mm -hmm. and all of that in abundance. Mm -hmm. He would not shy away from things that others would think inappropriate. Mm -hmm. He has a unique understanding of travel. He'd be cavalier with his career. Mm -hmm. Money and executive position with groups of people. Innovative with money. New ways of making money for groups of people. Mm -hmm. There's a karma with humanitarianism. He would look and appear dreamy, someone who is deep in thought, artsy, unusual, unique, bohemian, not conservative, not corporate. Mm -hmm. He uh, has some issue with his appearance. Uh, there, uh, he would be creative in the way that he dresses. Mm -hmm. uh, he could wear anything. Mm -hmm. He would be easygoing. Uh, he could have a position as some sort of corporate raider executive. Mm -hmm. uh, he could be creating a studio with a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, creative in all avenues of his life. Uh, people don't see him coming. He could appear as easygoing, but behind that is a lot of ambition. Mm -hmm. uh, when studying in school or outside uh, in his own life, he could be someone who studies the darker things in life, could mm -hmm. study cadavers. <laughs> um, the more information about anything, the merrier. Mm -hmm. uh, study everything, including the bad, possibly mm -hmm. the occult. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be very smart. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he is looking for a nurturing partner, not someone who's some vixen. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe someone who gives him motherly qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would like him. He would be unique looking. He is an excellent communicator. Mm-hmm. He is not afraid. He is cavalier. Mm-hmm. He could be very youthful. He could but also just come across as youthful, but have an older soul inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have a temper. Mm-hmm. He is uh, an introverted person with extroverted capabilities. Mm-hmm. He would enjoy an art gallery. He likes beautiful things, finer things. Mm-hmm. Uh, art nurtures him, and he nurtures with art. Mm-hmm. And uh, mom would be impressed and intrigued by him. <laughs> <laughs> uh do you have uh is there anything that i've left out no i just want to go back to this um i sort of skipped over this stellium and taurus in the second house because it includes mercury mercury north node is at nine degrees conjunct mercury at 11 degrees by two degrees mercury at 11 degrees is conjunct saturn at 13 degrees by two degrees this whole stellium because then we have moon at 20 degrees Taurus. so there is a, all of these play off of each other the north node being the direction backed up by the mercury communications uh but it is in taurus so mercury in taurus is going to be very um like slower and 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 be okay with taking time to make progress all right then we have saturn which is backing up these which gives you stability and long range goals you know what i mean so there's a lot in this even though saturn can make it a little bit like lessons like there's lessons to be learned saturn is there so that you can learn the lessons and get on with it you know what i mean so there's an awful lot going on in this stellium because it's 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 uh it's it's intense and it's all Taurus and that's all ruled by Venus and it's all in the second house. So I guess that's it. Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? I am. I hope I even know who it is. Well, if people are listening to this the day that it is released, this is the Friday before Halloween. <gasps> and people who are listening will have to excuse me here, but I must put on the impression of this man because he is one who is more connected uh, with Halloween than possibly any other. I think I know who it is. We must unveil the crypt and listen to the funk of 40,000 years to hear the tale of the master of the macabre, the man who delights in the detestable. For this is the chart of Vincent Price. <gasps> oh, I thought it was going to be Vincent Price when you said that. Oh, that's very cool. Well, I got really close on that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to hear all about Vincent Price. I love Vincent Price. Uh, so Vincent Price uh, was uh, born Vincent Price Jr. Uh, May uh, of 1911 in St. Louis. Uh, his father was Vincent Price Sr., his uh, mother was Marguerite, and he was the uh, fourth of four children. He was the youngest, and he was absolutely spoiled by his parents. Uh, he uh, is grew up in what he considered a well-to-do family, which is different from a well-off family. <laughs> uh, so uh, the... Uh, family uh, was in the involved in the Chamber of Commerce of St. Louis, and a lot of people knew who the family was, and uh, there was money for him to have the best of education and uh, to take uh, at least his while he was growing up, his parents would go to Europe and bring him things back from Europe, um, uh, and and so he 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 did not suffer much uh, as a mm. child. And he he often talked about how wonderful his childhood was, and that he uh, really uh, is sorry for people who did not have a, a wonderful childhood mm-hmm. like he did. Uh, very early on, uh, he developed a unique love of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was twelve years old, he found a Rembrandt etching uh, that was thirty seven dollars. <gasps> And he put all the money that he had down, which was $5, uh, 
And he paid it off over a series of months. Wow. And so as a 12-year-old, he was able to purchase an original Rembrandt etching. Um, art would be something that would carry on throughout the rest of his life. It was a true calling for him. Mm-hmm. Uh he uh, would end up graduating uh, from uh, private school in St. Louis, and then uh, his family had always gone to Yale, and so he attended Yale. He was the class of 1933. Uh, there was no art history department really to speak of, or you couldn't major in it. So he majored in English uh, and then took some art history courses along the way. Uh, and while he was doing that, he would uh, get together with his friends and make uh, small films together with his friends. And uh, he enjoyed his time doing these, but didn't really think that he could truly make a career out of it. Uh, after graduating from Yale, he uh, taught school for a year, uh, but decided that he wanted to go back to school for himself and truly uh, study art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he went to London and went to the... Uh, uh, Courtiel uh, Art Institute in London. And while he was studying art there, uh, he found the theater, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, West End of London. And there were all these shows going on all the time, and it was very affordable for him to go uh, to these shows. And uh, he started to want to get on stage himself. And there's this one theater that was doing a production uh, called Chicago, uh, which has uh, no relation to the Bob Fosse <laughs> Chicago, um, but is about gangsters of the 1920s. And Vincent Price uh, was the only one uh, that they could find who could chew gum and walk at the same time. (laughs) Uh, And so he got a part as a bit part as a gangster in this uh, theater production. Well, the same theater uh, put on a production of uh, Victoria Regina. And uh, although this was only his second role, he got uh, the lead male part as Prince Albert Mm. in this production. And later on, uh, this was brought to the United States and Helen Hayes, who was the great actress of Broadway, probably the most famous woman of the time, uh, uh, was uh, playing Queen Victoria. And uh, they brought uh, the American actor from England to Broadway uh, to play alongside her. And so now uh, this young Vincent Price is uh, playing against uh, the most famous woman of the stage. uh, And it is only his second a role that he's ever had. Wow. Uh, after that uh, great success, he decided not to tour with it and to stay in Broadway. And he had uh, a number of failures uh, in uh, the stage. And then uh, he got into the Mercury Theater uh, run by Orson Welles. So wow. I I just think, I personally would love to see any conversation between <laughs> Vincent Price and Orson Welles. Um, and and to the fact that they worked together uh i would wish that i could have seen any of those shows <laughs> uh one of the famous people from the mercury theater uh talked about how when vincent price uh came uh that there was uh, this production uh, always vincent price was very good at period dramas and so there was this elizabethan uh, production they were doing which required vincent price who was six four uh to wear these tights <laughs> uh, and so uh, he had these tights uh, that were stretched very thin uh, and uh, wearing a cod piece uh, as is tradition and uh, the actor uh, said that uh, Vincent Price's visage and uh, these tights and cod piece uh, uh, made the matinee prices rise uh, with the amount of people wanting to see this. Well, during his time in the Mercury Theater, uh, he met another young actress uh, named uh, Edith Bart Barrett. And uh, together they got married, and then they moved to Hollywood in 1938. Uh, He uh, got his first contract uh, with Universal, and they really didn't know what to do with him. Uh, So they put him in these some screwball comedies, some uh, uh, period pieces, um, but always kind of as a character actor somewhere in the background. Uh, And at the end of that contract, he moved over to Fox, and they were able to use him in a lot more period uh, dramas, but still never as a leading player. He was never really looked on as a a leading man, so they didn't know where to put him. Uh, But he did have this clause in his contract which allowed him to leave and go back and do theater work Mm -hmm. and uh, in 1941 he did a production called Angel Street and he was charged with playing a suave murderer 
Uh, and this was the first time that he had truly played a villain and he really learned his ability in taking on the villain role, mm -hmm. that it's the greatest role of any production. Mm -hmm. It's the one with the most nuance. Oh, the yes. one uh, where he, uh, he could understand the charisma of evil and what leads people to choose the darker side of things. Yes. And that he could not only enjoy playing the villain himself, but he could make the audience enjoy him as the villain. Yes. And so once he came uh, to this whole uh, conclusion, he goes back to Hollywood and they start casting him in these villain roles. Mm -hmm. And that is where uh, his star really begins to rise. Uh, throughout the 1940s, he would play these roles as these sophisticated uh, murderers in uh, things like Laura and uh, Dragon's Wick uh, was a film that kind of combined uh, his two greatest talents, one as a period drama piece and the other as uh, this superb villain. And so it's here that you meet the gothic villain that Vincent Price would play so frequently throughout his career. <laughs> Um, there uh, was a, a child born, uh, Vincent Price Jr., uh, uh, or uh, Vincent Barrett Price uh, in uh, 1941. Uh, but uh, through all the success, Edith, who was also trying to succeed in Hollywood, uh, didn't find the same sort of success that Vincent had. Uh, and she felt resentful of this, and oh. it put a strain on the marriage. And 1948, they would end up getting a divorce. Oh. And one year later, uh, Vincent Price would marry again. Okay. Uh, this time to uh, one of the costumers uh, for the studio um, uh, named Mary. And uh, so they were married in 1949. Uh, but this is also the same time that uh, some of Vincent Price's um, political leanings uh, become known, especially during this time of the uh, McCarthyism and the blackballing of communists in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, he never really attended any communist meetings, but he was a very open and professed liberal, uh, especially throughout the 30s and 40s. And because of his political activities and leanings, um, that caused some of the people not... Uh, more established studios not to want to work with him anymore. Mm. Uh, so throughout the 1950s, he's starting to get offers from much uh, less acclaimed studios and studios who just want to uh, really focus on the uh, horror elements uh, of what uh, Vincent Price could bring to these B movies. Uh, and here's where we get some of uh, the greatest uh, roles uh, that we know Vincent Price for. So William Castle was this producer who made a lot of these sort of B pictures, but really wanted to sensationalize the cinema. This is <laughs> the 1950s where uh, people are worried that people aren't going to go to the movies anymore because they have televisions in their homes. Oh, no. So uh, William Castle brings things into the theater to have smells and to have uh, external sounds and to have uh, vibrators put uh, into the seat cushions <laughs> so that you can feel the tingling of the terror of these oh, films. No. And uh, so it's through uh, people like William Castle that Vincent Price makes House of Wax, The Flying, House on Haunted Hill. Um, also, it's important to note that just before this uh, sort of turn in his career, uh, Vincent Price uh, is in The Ten Commandments, and uh, it was a wonderful role that he plays <laughs> uh, in uh, The Ten Commandments. Um, so while this is sort of where his career is steering him towards uh, these uh, lower grade pictures, um, he's also uh, becoming more uh, uh, involved in the art community. Uh, so he had uh, a massive art collection uh, that he had started from a very early age when he was just 12 years old. Uh, and he, uh, from all sorts of artists, European artists, Renaissance, um, uh, tribal, uh, all he loved all art. Mm -hmm. uh, you could go to his home and see tribal art, see Rembrandt, see Jackson Pollock's, everything. And uh, during this time, he goes to uh, one of the uh, lower income Income community colleges in Los Angeles, uh, East Los Angeles College, mm -hmm. with a predominantly uh, Hispanic uh, uh, student body there, and sees that they're not getting the same sort of quality um, study materials to appreciate the arts. Mm -hmm. And so he donates over 2,000 pieces of his own <gasps> art collection uh, to the East Los Angeles College. Uh, and uh, so that they could have a, a good art department there. Uh, 
through his uh, uh, consumption of the art, uh, he uh, starts going through uh, to different uh, television uh, studios, and he goes uh, to uh, Sears and Roebuck, who hires him to create a Vincent Price art collection. And this was one of his uh, favorite things that they ever did in his life. (laughs) He uh, got to spend three years of his life collecting 50,000 pieces of art uh, from all over the world, from artists that you know, from new artists, and put them into the Sears and Roebuck collection so that average, everyday Americans could bring this art into their home. He was someone who was really focused on democratizing the arts, that you didn't have to have a fancy degree, you didn't have to be a snob to appreciate great art. Right. Uh, And he was also very uh, cognizant of that there is this thing of American art, that there's something unique about uh, artists in America. Mm -hmm. And so he's one of the first people to really start studying it and make books about it so that people can truly recognize uh, the amazing artists that we have right here at home uh, in uh, the present day. Uh, through this aspect of his life, he would have different television shows. Uh, he would open up galleries, make books. Uh, he also uh, does the same things for food and for wine. Mm-hmm. He makes these books to allow these finer pieces that were supposed to only be for these elegant, elite uh, parts of society, bring them down to the common people so mm-hmm. they could appreciate fine food and fine wine for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1962, um, Vincent and Mary would have a daughter named Victoria Price. Uh, Throughout the 1960s, the sort of trajectory of his career continues to go into what most people, most critics of the time, thought of as lower and lower. Uh, So he gets a contract with uh, American International Pictures, which is Roger Corman's company. Mm -hmm. And Roger Corman uh, is the one who... thinks that Vincent Price would make the perfect Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. And so he puts Price into all of these adaptations of Poe's uh, poems and books. Uh, So during this uh, beginning to mid-60s, you have House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Raven. Um, But as his uh, continued uh, association with American International Productions uh, continues, uh, he goes more and more into the exploitation films of the late 60s and early 70s. Some of these would even be rated X. Um, So uh, there were uh, films uh, like Dr. Goldfoot and The Girl Bomb, uh, The Witchfinder (laughs) General, and Theater of Blood. Uh, His... And at the, this is also the time in television where now the uh, camp television shows like Batman and the variety shows can now get these once great stars to do things that are much beneath them. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, here, his television career really, uh, he, he, he has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. One of them is for movies and one of them is for television. Uh, so he, even in the 50s, realized how important television was and he was um, a frequent uh, contestant on the $64,000 question as an art expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he appeared on the Hollywood Squares over 80 times. Um, but during this mid to late 60s, he really becomes a pastiche of himself, um, playing characters that make fun of the movies that he was previously in. Uh, roles included uh, things in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and as the Eggman in Batman. <laughs> Um, in the early 70s, uh, things become strained uh, in his second marriage, and while he is uh, making Theater of Blood, uh, he falls in love with one of his co-stars uh, named uh, Cora. Okay. And so there was a divorce, and then he married uh, Cora. Uh, in uh, the early 70s. And uh, by the mid-70s, his career kind of experiences a rebirth. Uh, in 1977, he does a one-man show uh, based on Oscar Wilde. And uh, he uh, would portray Oscar Wilde in theaters all across the nation and all over the world. Uh, and uh, people could really see that he, even though uh, he was 
previously just relegated to these B movies and these exploitation films, there is a true actor behind all of these things. Uh, and then by the 1980s, you start getting people who grew up on Vincent Price's films, who loved him, who are now able to, while he's still alive, uh, make projects for him to be in. Mm-hmm. In 1982, Tim Burton uh, was a... Uh, young animator out of the Disney company trying to make his own films. And he makes a short film called Vincent using stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. And he actually gets a Vincent Price to do uh, the narration uh, for that film. And then of course, in in 1984, uh, Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson get him to do the ending rap on Thriller, uh, which uh, is uh, absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Throughout the late eighties, he is more, uh, used as a voice actor. Uh, And so he is in Disney films uh, like The Great Mouse Detective. Uh, He's also uh, recorded uh, the voice as the uh, ghost host in Disneyland Paris's uh, Haunted Mansion. Uh, but uh, for many years, uh, they decided not to use that voice uh, because they didn't get all of the recordings done before he passed away oh, no. and because they wanted an exclusively French voice. Uh, but in the last few years, uh, they have incorporated more and more of Vincent Price's original uh, narration into Disneyland Paris's Phantom Manor. Yeah. Uh, his last major role was filmed in 1989, 1990. Uh, that was uh, Tim Burton, uh, who filmed him uh, as the creator for Edward Scissorhands. Uh, so uh, it is a very... Uh, it's very interesting that he got to live past the period of the 60s and 70s, where so many of these Hollywood actors just saw their careers go uh, into the dumps and never got to experience the rebirth in the 80s and 90s uh, of all these people who grew up on uh, their films, now giving them these prestige projects. And Vincent Price was able to actually experience that. Um, He uh, contracted... uh, uh, cancer, lung cancer, uh, and he passed away in uh, 1993. His ashes uh, were scattered over the beach uh, in Malibu uh, because he said that Santa Monica was too polluted anyway. Uh, so Vincent Price will forever go down as the master of the macabre. Uh, he had over 300 films, but only 100 of them were uh, actual horror films. Uh, so he had a tremendous body of work, mm-hmm. uh, but it really shows you uh, how he is able to leap off the page, leap off of the screen mm-hmm. uh, in just the 100 films that he did as these pure uh, gothic horror films uh, that uh, captivated uh, people to this day. Uh, He forever has the greatest laugh in cinema history. Uh, He is uh, the perfect person to play a villain uh, in any picture. Uh, So uh, that is uh, the life of uh, Vincent Price. I think uh, that a lot of the things that we talked about in the chart uh, bear out in uh, what he did. I think so, too. I I would like to say, now that I know who it is, is that, um, you know, Pisces is the spiritual healer, right? So having Chiron in Pisces, it it makes you a spiritual healer. It makes you, it gives you healing wherever you are, right? So instead of him, although he he had a very unique look about him, uh, his, his presence was healing. He was constantly healing, you know? He was healing people through art. He was healing people through food. He was healing people through entertainment. So I think that's really interesting. I think that um, all of the art uh, has, you know, this stellium in Taurus and his Venus and Neptune in Cancer. These are very nurturing Mm -hmm. with art, you know, wanting. And then his 12th house Aquarius humanitarian uh, things, you know, Carnal with humanitarian things. He wanted to provide options for people to have gourmet foods and to have art and, you know, all of this information. Um, he was not afraid of the macabre or no. anything that was uh, considered inappropriate. Mm-hmm. He had no problem with that. And then he did have this unique way of doing business because what he did 
is he continued to have his career span the entire time of his career. Yeah, 50 years. You know, one way or another, he just kept doing something unique for the people, mm-hmm. you know? And he, I think Vincent Price was wonderful and brilliant and amazing and, and so, um, so entertaining, so talented and, uh, very, very loved, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's awesome. I'm glad you, I'm glad you did Vincent Price. I, I had no idea this was Vincent Price. Uh, yeah, I think that on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is uh, pretty close to uh, right on the money. There are uh, a lot of things here that bear out to uh, what he did, especially all the stuff in that eighth house. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he he was not someone, uh, and, and someone who was forever associated uh-huh. with the macabre, with taboo, with secrets, with right. horror. Legacy. Uh, and yes, yeah, so that's his legacy yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that uh, this was uh, definitely a, a, a good chart here. <laughs> um, so that uh, brings us to the conclusion of this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to reach out and support the show, we have all uh, sorts of ways of doing that provided in the uh, show description. Uh, we have the links to our social media pages. Uh, we also have links provided to our YouTube channel. There are uh, all sorts of videos there from our first season uh, that are posted there right now that you can go and take a look at and actually follow along with the chart as uh, Mom points out the things on the chart that uh, previously you've only been able to hear and imagine in your minds what it might look <laughs> Like. Uh, and then uh, we also have a link provided to our PayPal page. Uh, every little bit helps us in producing a better quality show and uh, expanding our audience. Uh, so if you feel so inclined, we uh, definitely appreciate that. And then we also have the opportunity for you to become your very own Mystery History guest. Uh, just click on the link to Chandler's Mom at HistoryAndRetrograde.com and uh, you can uh, send her an email and she can get with you about all the details how to get uh, your chart read. Absolutely. And we do definitely appreciate all the donations that have been coming in. They're awesome and very helpful. And we are very appreciative. And um, anywhere that you want to go, you can go from our website, which is www.historyandretrograde.com. And you can get to the Facebook and you can get to YouTube and you can get to the podcast. You can get anywhere you need to go from there. And I have had a brilliant time doing charts for guests of the show and um, so just uh, email me and let me know if you want me to do your chart Uh, well that brings us to uh, the end of this show thank you all so much for listening Uh, as always in conclusion as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned everything will be just fine everything is going to be just fine thank you so much for listening we love you happy Halloween bye bye thank you so much Happy Halloween. Bye-bye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.